Good morning. My name is Rose Halsman. This morning, our scripture reading for today is Hebrews 2, 10 through 18. In bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what he suffered. Both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. He says, I will declare your name to my brothers and sisters. In the assembly, I will sing your praises. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, he says, here here am I and the children God has given me. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is, the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason he had to to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. The word of the Lord. I consider it um, an honor to be able to uh, share the pulpit with um, people from with different voices and um, that interact with scripture differently uh, than I do. Um, I think it's important for the life of a congregation. I consider it even uh, a bigger honor, though, to be able to share the pulpit with the daughter um, of this ministry this morning. And so um, this morning, Jamie Slacky Meehan, who grew up at Naperville Covenant Church, uh, got her undergraduate degree from North Park in youth ministry. Uh, she's worked in various youth ministries since graduating in 2014, including directing a summer day camp. She is currently a student at Garrett Evangelical Theological Seminary on Northwestern's campus, and she has specialized in art interpretation of the Bible, and she will graduate in May, uh, which is really amazing. And I've had the opportunity since being here um, to get to know Jamie um, a little bit, and she recently got married to Troy, who's the back swave. Um, and they're just an amazing couple, wonderful family, and it's been an honor to get to know her. And so I was eager to um, give her the opportunity to just share um, some of what God is sharing with her and thankful for the voice um, that God has given her. And it's a privilege to invite you up this morning. And so before she comes, can we all just extend our hands to her and say, God bless Jamie. God bless Jamie. God bless Jamie. So Jamie Slacky Meehan, give her a round of applause. Thank you. You know, uh, online they're saying that it is a uh, national have your youth pastor preach Sunday. Uh, So I think X is just letting anyone in. (laughs) But let me pray for us first. God, I ask that the words of my mouth 
and the meditations of my heart are pleasing to you. Let any words that are not yours fall away, and may I communicate this message clearly this morning. Amen. So we are just a couple days away from 2020. Uh, We are turning now to a new decade, and I feel like now is the time when we might look back and uh, see where we were uh, maybe 10 years ago. Uh, 10 years ago, I was a senior in high school, and actually on December 29th, 2009, I was in Thailand on a mission trip that you all sent me on. Uh, And I, uh, uh, as far as where you all were, uh, Pastor Scott had been with you for just a couple months at this point. Uh, And I have a picture. Uh, Look at all that 2009 goodness (laughs) happening there. You all changed the tree, which, you know, good job, 10 years. It's good good that things change. Uh, So just soak that in. A lot has changed with me since. I'm no longer in high school, which is a good thing. Uh, And a lot has changed with you all as a church. And if we even pull the scope into what has happened this year, there's been a lot of change. You saw Pastor Scott off to his retirement, Pastor Diana off to a new job. You welcomed Pastor X into this congregation. And for me, The biggest change that happened uh, for me this year also happened in this sanctuary. On October 11th, uh, I got married, and I know everyone wants to see a picture of that, so here I am, and here Troy is. That's right there. Uh, So it's a pretty big, big change for me. Uh, But there's also been a big change with the Big C Church that you may or may not know about, and that happened just this summer. The change came when Pope Francis announced that he would be approving a change to the Lord's Prayer. And you might be thinking, uh, wait, this is in the Bible. How can he change the Lord's Prayer? Well, Pope Francis actually says that this edit is more akin to a translation misunderstanding. The line that had been altered is, uh, was the one that read, lead us not into temptation. And the newly approved line is, let us fall not into temptation. So it was, lead us not into temptation, and now it is, let us fall not into temptation. And the difference is like the difference between someone leading you into a busy street and someone standing between you and a busy street. The Pope's point is this, is that God is not the tempter. God is the one who guards us from tempting This idea is supported by our text today, Hebrews 2.18. Christ was tempted, therefore God is with us when we are tempted. Because Christ was tempted, he is not the one who leads us into temptation. Christ knows what it is to be tempted. So he walks with us through our temptation. If we dig into the text a little more, we see that God being able to relate to our temptation is in fact part of the reason why Jesus takes on a body. Christ becomes like us to take on temptation. And Hebrews 2.18 says that this temptation was suffering. Now the text says something a little odd. Uh, Hebrews 2.10 reads, it was fitting that God for whom and through whom everything exists should make the pioneer of their salvation 
perfect through what he suffered. And the word perfect is more loaded than we might think it is. Hebrews, the the book, while it was written to Hebrew people, is written in Greek. And that's because this whole region is steeped in Hellenistic, that's Greek, culture. And early Christianity is deeply influenced by Greek philosophers and the concepts of Socrates and Aristotle. These philosophers would have been known and understood by the people who were originally reading and hearing this letter. The way that we know this is that the arguments in this letter are written in a Hellenistic style. They're set up in a way that is really Greek, uh, alongside of Jewish scriptures. The thing is that we can also tell that this is written to a crowd that would have been hip with Greek culture because the Jewish passages that they cite are a little funny. They, uh, they, they don't sound like they're exactly taken from the Torah, which is the Old Testament, uh, because they're actually taken from the Greek translation of the Torah and then put into the text. This, uh, this translation is called the Septuagint. So the ideas coming from Greek culture are really uh, contemporary with these original hearers of this letter called Hebrews. But anyhow, these, uh, these Greek philosophers, they talk about this idea of perfection extensively. The concept of perfection in ancient times is pretty interesting. And this concept refers to that which is unchanged, rather than what we see it as, uh, perfection being the condition or state or quality of being free or as free from, as possible from all flaws and defects. So these ancient philosophers would say that the idea of something is actually more perfect than the thing itself because concepts do not change, but inevitably all that is in the physical realm will deteriorate. So the concept that Christ's perfection happens through the suffering of temptation shows how countercultural Christ's embodiment is. Christ becomes perfect in suffering and in a changing body. That's so different from what perfect means in that time. Christ was different. Deterioration of the body is not the absence of perfection, according to this text, but in fact the point of perfection. So as we're still in this Christmas season, it may feel a little funny to talk about Christ's temptation and suffering, and it kind of feels like Easter stuff. Uh, But the whole point of Christmas being celebrated is acknowledging that our God took on flesh and went through the stuff that we go through. Christ's temptation, Christ's suffering, Christ's joy and love and fear and all the human experiences happened through Christ and Christ's particular body. Hebrews 2.11 says, Both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. And then verse 14 goes on to say, Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity. Christ's sharing in our humanity places us as a part of God's family. Our bodies are important. 
just as Christ having a body to be like us is important. Our sibling status happens because we have having bodies in common with Christ. These bodies endear us to God. Now the text says that Christ is the one who makes things holy and that we are that which are made holy. In the context of this passage, which so heavily focuses on bodies, I take that to mean that our bodies are made holy. This is yet another countercultural concept which has great impact for us today. So often in our culture, we, we see the extremes, whether it is body shaming or body idolization. It can feel like it must be one or the other. But have you ever thought of your body as holy? The NRSV translation of the Bible uses the word sanctified, which just means to be made holy. But it might encompass uh, our, our meaning even more. Have you ever thought of your body as sanctified? Now when I say holy in reference to bodies, I don't mean that they should be a god or an idol for us. This is why sanctified might fit better in my opinion, because sanctified has this continuous connotation, whereas holy has more a sense of permanence. To recognize our bodies as sanctified is to regard them with the respect that they deserve. 1 Corinthians 6.19 says that our bodies are a temple. Genesis 1.31 says that God called creation, that is the creation of humanity, very good. Romans 12.1 says that we should offer our bodies to God and that that offering is holy and pleasing. According to scripture, our bodies are not bad or meant to be shamed. And perhaps in the big C church, we've seen the idolization of bodies and culture, and from fear of embracing that attitude, we have rejected it to the point of shame. Or maybe we've just fallen victim to the, victi- to the, uh, fallen victim to the culture of shame and not taken time to look at the ways that God would have us look at ourselves. And if we think about it, at what point does shame over our bodies Take hold to the point that it is the actual idol. Holding more of our regard than the love and acceptance we should be holding for God's creation, which is our bodies. And as we close out 2019, we might ask ourselves, what would it look like if our New Year's resolution included self-acceptance rather than self-improvement? A month and a half ago, I went on a girl's trip with some friends, and late Saturday night, one friend posed the question, what is your favorite and least favorite things about your body? And I consider myself to have a positive self-image, but in that moment, I found myself with a long list of least favorites, and everything on the favorites list had an asterisk next to it. And after we had all shared, we realized that we had a similar experience. Trying to think of positive things about our bodies. But at the same time, we could all think of so many things that we liked about our friends' bodies. After that, we went around and said what we thought our husbands would say for each of us. And we found that the answers came quickly. 
It made all of us stop and think about how we saw ourselves and how that image compared with the way that the people who loved us saw us. We could see that the ones who were closest to us valued our bodies in a different way than we could see ourselves. We saw that the ones who were closest to us valued our bodies in a different way than we could see ourselves. Our culture says that your body is not enough. It projects airbrush images of perfection, of what perfection is. And that perfection says that everything is ordered and unchanging, free of flaw or defect. But the thing is, that's not what bodies do, and that's not what bodies are. Bodies change. They have stretch marks. They deteriorate. They are tempted. They suffer. But they're holy. Your body is sanctified because Christ had a body and made it so. Christ became the pioneer of salvation through the body. The perfection of salvation happens not when Christ is unchanging, not when Christ's body is free of flaw or defect, but it happens when Christ's body is as it is. Changing, sometimes broken, sometimes beaten, probably stinky and bruised. Christ's body is particular and holy. And because we have siblinghood with Christ, and because Christ sanctifies his siblings, our bodies too are holy. Your body and every single particularity is sanctified, is holy. Your body's not an idol, nor is it a reason for shame. It is something to be honored, loved, and respected. And I think that's good news. What a countercultural message, especially right here before the new year when we're bombarded with the message of who we could be in this new year, especially in relation to who we are in relation to our bodies. So we're going to take a second and stop that cycle of shame over our bodies and reorient ourselves to self-acceptance. So if you could indulge me in a short exercise... I am my father's daughter, so don't think we're getting out of this sermon without an interactive element. So close your eyes if you feel comfortable. Imagine yourself in a full-length mirror. Imagine your whole self, flaws and all. Imagine the top of your head to the bottom of your toes. Take in all of your physical self. Look at your body and say to it, You are sanctified. Look at your face and say, You are sanctified. Look 
at that which you are ashamed of and say to those parts, you are sanctified. Look at what the people who love you most see and remind your body you are sanctified. You can open your eyes. As we enter this new year and even this new decade, temptation abounds to be ashamed of the body that we have. And as we step into this new year, remember that you may call upon God to guard you from the temptation of self-shame. It is my greatest hope that you walk into this new year remembering this, that Christ came and took on flesh, making us full siblings, that Christ in taking on flesh sanctified our flesh and made us holy alongside of him. Your body is good. And when you fall into the temptation of shame over your body, remember that you may call upon Christ to guard you from that temptation. Christ had a body. He gets it. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you so much for the bodies that we have. We thank you that you have created us in all of our particularity. God, guard us from the shame and unworthiness that we feel in regards to those bodies. Help us to remember that you have sanctified them through the body that you took on. We thank you and we love you. Amen.